For those who live in the rectory, one of the last things that we do at night after doing night prayer is we take the dogs for a walk around the block of the church. And some of it's for the benefit of the dogs, some of it's for us, one last nice walk around the block. And a bit of it is to make sure that everything is okay on the campus, lights are off, doors are shut. And as we come around the block this way and start down Mall Avenue again toward uh, the rectory, we come to the plaza and we'll stop and we'll look all the way up to the tabernacle. And we'll just greet Jesus, do a little bow, and then continue our walk. And the reason that we can do this is because of a saint in the 1500s. Churches were not always laid out like this. You know, this might seem very logical to you, but it wasn't always like this. Especially your bigger churches could be a big mash of things. Altars could be everywhere, at the bottom of pillars and on the long of the sidewall so all the priests could say masses. Uh, in bef before the main altar, there was a, a, a rude screen so that if you were sitting in the congregation, you probably couldn't even see what was going on. And so then the, the altar and the tabernacle were obscured and you really couldn't see it. And what happened over the centuries is people felt a little distance from the Blessed Sacrament and uh, a reception of Holy Communion plummeted. Then in the 1500s, St. Charles Borromeo, the namesake of our minor seminary, built a church in Rome called Jesu. And he got rid of the rude screen and he arranged the church so that everything faced towards the front. And in the center in the front, he had the main altar. And on that altar, he had the tabernacle where our Lord Jesus Christ was. So that the minute you walked into those doors, everything about that building told you what was important, right? Right there. We had an instant connection with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament from the moment that you entered the door. Bam. And we understood we're supposed to be in relationship with him. That is why today, if you drive down Mall Avenue and you slow down just a little bit, you can peek in through the windows and look all the way down here and greet Jesus. With all the chaos that's going into the church today, and you can name a thousand things, the vocation crisis, the scandal, fretting over whether we should stand or kneel after communion, everything that is demanding our attention, our very church building reminds us what should be number one, first concern, Jesus, the divine person, when you walk into our church, there's not a big monument here with rules on it. My chair is not over there. The bishop's picture is not over there. There's not a banner with the cause of the day over there. There is love. There is the head of the body of the church. There is Jesus Christ, body and blood, soul and divinity. Jesus Christ, true God and true man, as present here to us today as he was to his disciples 2,000 odd years ago, who informs everything that we do and who by his very life teaches us how to live our lives to its fullest potential and who, if we follow him, brings us to salvation. In other words, here is the key to life and living, to joy and dignity and hope and fulfillment and meaning. 
And if this is the place where heaven and earth meet, where the visible encounters the invisible, where the human and divine crash together and in an incredible and explosive way, then we should create a magnificent space into which to house all of this in art and in architecture. We make this as plain as we possibly can. And to make this a place of beauty, not only to honor God, but also to make it beautiful and accessible for all his people. Whether you are incredibly young or old, whether you are dirt poor or rich beyond measure. Heaven is not just another grass-covered field with plenty of flowers in it. In the reading that we had today, it's described as having the radiance of precious stones with massive walls and angels on the top of it, with gates carved out of a single pearl. The very ground is courses of gem, and it doesn't even need lights or a temple. It doesn't need a temple or a church because God is there. And it doesn't need light because he is the light, not unlike our painting or our mosaic. You see Jesus glowing, emanating light, the light of God. When I think of our Catholic faith, these are the things that I think on. Christ's great mission, his sacrifice, his resurrection, our formation in his magnificent life, the sanctification of men and women who came before us because of this faith, who become saints, the great things done by men and women because of their faith, and the peace that I had when my mother died because of the peace that she had because of her trust in the sacraments and in Jesus Christ. And it is also why I am angry about the evil people who have done terrible things inside our church. It's one thing to be attacked from the outside, right? It's another thing to have an enemy within the gates, like the first reading that we had today that Paul is addressing the community. We know this has been going on forever. There are people out there teaching, he says to them, things that don't come from us and they're disturbing you. Let us correct the things. There is so much good to do and so many worthy battles to fight, so many great and noble things that deserve our attention and so much of our time is spent on the consequences of these actions of a number of us selfish people of our number. And many lay people think, and I don't blame them, I wish our priests would do something about this. And we priests sit around thinking, man, I, I, our bishops really need to pull their act together and do something. And the bishops think our lady and our priests really need to get their act together. I suppose it's all true. It can be disheartening, but what you and I are living through right now is going to be remarked on for the rest of the history of the Catholic Church. It will be remembered in the same way as the Diocletian suppression, the Reformation, the French Revolution, the breaking with the Church of Henry VIII. It's going to be that prominent. Our scandal causing distrust, d distrust of the sum of the hierarchy is accompanied by rampant relativism on the heels of decades of theological dissent, liturgical abuse, 
confusion of roles in the church and weak leadership. But the church has gone through this before. It's not a time for despair. And here's just one example out of many. In the time of St. John Vianney, the cure to ours, uh, the three statues back there, we have one of him. He's got a, he's the only statue or depiction of a saint we have in this whole place that has a smile on his face. And it's almost like, guys, I know what you're going through. In his day, the Catholic Church was in crisis. There was corruption in the church leadership and outside the church, and brutal suppression by the French Revolution, which supplanted the Catholic Church with a church loyal to the nation and disloyal to Rome and the teachings of Christ. It would have been easy just to go along or give up and sleep in on Sunday but John Vianney's family instead removed themselves from disloyal priests and parishes and sought out priests who remained true to the faith, who were hunted down by the government, hidden by the people, and had masses in private homes and barns. Do you ever see the movie Skyfall? Granted, it took place in England, James Bond. And there's this scene towards the end where uh, there's the secret panel next to the fireplace and they press a button and the panel opens up and they can sneak in and go down into a tunnel. These are called priest holes. And they were created during a time in England when uh, priests royal to Rome were being hunted down and could be executed. And when they would, they would hide in houses and barns to do masses and if the authorities came, they would hide them in these priest holes, which is pretty cool because it means James Bond was Catholic. Now, one might think that in the face of all this, all this opposition, one might want to stay clear of the church, let alone a church vocation. But it was precisely in that brewing pot that John Vianney gained his vocation and decided that he wanted to be a priest. He had to fight for it to become a priest. And through his ministry, he began to build up the church again in one of the most hostile areas in France, in ours. It's a story to be heard over and over again throughout our history, the renewal of the church at the hands of individuals who find their call at such times. Joan of Arc, Thomas More, Francis, Maximilian Kolbe, Therese, Sebastian. That courage, hope, and bravery are alive today. Spring is coming, and here's the hope that I see. Nine priests were ordained two weekends ago for the Diocese of Cleveland. Bishop Barron, look it up online if you can. He's got a really short video about it. Bishop Barron wrote a book about uh, the scandal and what to do about it. And he says, and he very clearly, I have no right to speak on behalf of all bishops, but I am going to speak out. And he created this book and he's selling them for a dollar a piece. So I bought 100, 200 of them, and we're going to pass them out here, and we're going to uh, maybe have some book studies and stuff on it too. So leadership, awesome. The action of parishioners, those who came together and provided us with those calendars for daily prayers and sacrifices during this time of trial. Uh, the, the, that, uh, a little later on in the parish, another group of parishioners are going to lead the parish, dedicating it once again to Mary. You know, during Lent and Advent, we were praying the St. Michael prayer. And at the end of 
at the end of Lent, you know, we officially stopped. But after Mass, it's been kind of cool. People just spontaneously started praying it against. Good for you. Awesome. You know, we were only supposed to have three servers today. Look how many people showed up. Isn't that awesome? I see young people, old people, everybody becoming involved in this faith and making it better. Not just to carry on with the status quo, but to heal, purify, strengthen and embolden this church and this faith of ours. Because what do you do when something important to you is mishandled? You take it back. And that's what we are to do, to reclaim the beautiful, the true, and the good that has been entrusted to us, to return to the business of reclaiming human dignity, bringing hope to a dizzy world, to go about working with God to establish his kingdom here on earth, to give him proper worship, to bring benefit to our brothers and sisters, and to refocus ourselves on the presence of him, clearly seen in our church, even as you pass down the street on Mall Avenue. And in doing this, to re-earn the title Christian.